Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another episode of Three Yards Per Carry. I have Simon Clancy here with me. I'll have Chris Kaufman in the second half of the show, as this is our Vikings preview. We're playing a big game this week. But first, a word from one of our sponsors, AutoNation. Since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer, chances are they have the vehicle you're looking for. Shop from over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities. From the luxury of a Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you always wanted. They've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every year, and you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all, stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, all pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no-haggle price. One price, no pressure, guaranteed. Start your search right now at AutoNation.com. And of course, visit my friends over at 8600 Pines Boulevard if you need a Chevy car or truck. All right, on the three yards per carry account this week, of course, we're still basking in the glow of that glorious play on Sunday. And it brought me to making a list of the top 10 plays in Dolphin history. And I'll run it down really, really quick. Number 10 was the Joe Joe Auer run back the opening kickoff in franchise history for a touchdown. Number nine was... Yepremian hitting the field, winning field goal in the longest game ever played, the 1971 divisional playoff game. Number eight was Fulton Walker running back a 98-yard kickoff return in Super Bowl 17. Number seven was the Leon Lett play on Thanksgiving Day. Number six was Larry Seipel faking a punt in the AFC Championship game in the undefeated season. Number five was the hook and ladder or hook and lateral play in 1981. Uh, number four was the infamous Greg Camarillo play to avoid 0-16. Number three was a fake spike play. Number two, I put the Miami Miracle in there. And number one, I had A.J. Dewey getting his third interception to ice the AFC Championship game in 1982. Any issues with my list, Simon? I would say that maybe one of the plays that I think is missing is Dan Marino to Mark Clayton over Albert Lewis in that wild card playoff game that we won 17-16 when Nick Lowry missed the field goal at the end. We were down 16-3, backed up against our goal line in the fourth quarter. Marino hits Ferrell Edmonds for a long pass up to around midfield. 
Tony Page scores a touchdown. Then we get the ball back and Marino hits Clayton. Al Michaels was commentating and gives it the old mano e mano as it was like low outside back shoulder to Clayton, who beats Lewis, who's one of the best corners in the league. And, but then it was, I think it was Joe Montana was playing quarterback for the Chiefs, drove him into field goal range. And then there was a really good rookie offensive lineman whose name completely escapes me, David. Actually, it was Steve DeBerg playing quarterback. Was it DeBerg? Of course yes, it was, yes. Chiefs, yes. And then, but didn't we, have, didn't we play the Chiefs again in the playoffs a couple of years later with yes, Montana? With Montana yeah. and beat him in 1994. And then, so they got a five-yard false start penalty and it moved Nick Lowry back from a 47-yard field goal to a 52 and he was just short. But the Marino touchdown to, uh, to Clayton, uh, for me personally, would be one of those top 10. But, uh, it's difficult in that the AJ Dewey thing is, is probably is because of the, the, the size of the game, AFC Championship game. But I suppose situationally and the, the dramatic nature of what happened... I would probably put the Miami Miracle at number one just because, you know, playoffs on the line, you're pretty much out of the playoffs if you don't score. And just the sheer fucking monstrous nature of the beauty of it, that, the, you know, it was never going to, at least an interception is likely to happen. I think there was a, I think I saw an ESPN stat that said seven seconds ago, 69 yards away, the percentage chance of winning the game was 0.01%. And yet we still did it. So I think from, I mean, we're always, you know, we're always very uh, glazy-eyed over stuff that happened historically and everything that's, that is now is always the best. And I'm always slightly reticent to, to say, oh yeah, that's the way it has to be. But I, I just think for this, it just, uh, there's just something about this play because it wasn't a conventional play. It wasn't a long touchdown pass. It, 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 you know, if you just said to me, oh, the Dolphins with seven seconds left are going to throw a pass. It's going to be it's going to be lateral twice, and then Kenyon Drake's going to run in from fifty three yards away, and the total play will be sixty nine yards, and they'll beat Rob Gronkowski to the goal line. You'd have gone fuck off. Don't be so fucking ridiculous. That's never going to happen. Yes. So, so so just like piss off. That's not going to happen <laughs> ever, ever, ever. And then it does, and you get all really sexy and it's exciting and yeah, yeah, yeah. That to me is more exciting than a pick six. I think. So it'd be my number one play. When I, when I was making the list, I came up with so many Marino plays, but I want a little bit more diversity in the list. So I tried to keep them out as much as possible. But the touchdown pass to Mark Clayton to cap the 1984 season to make them go 14-2 and two and get home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Yeah. That, that was from like 58 yards out. He hits them on a deep post against the Dallas Cowboys. And at that point, the Cowboys had a streak of, a, of a, I think, 18 consecutive years with a winning record and they needed to win that game to make the playoffs and you you actually knocked them down to eight and eight and out of the playoffs so it was historic in its own right and that play also broke the touchdown record for mark clayton mm. and gave marino number 48 for that year so. i'd say the marine the the mark clayton catch against the bears on monday night where he was on his back and caught the ball to stop them getting the the perfect season would would be close to the top 10. Yeah. I know it wasn't a touchdown play, but just, again, the significance of it in terms of historically that, what was on the line. Yeah, and in that game, uh, the ball going off of uh, Dan Hampton's head mm. <laughs> and finding Mark Clayton and Mark Clayton scoring from 30 yards out, that was pretty right. big too. Yeah, the that only thing, was it was hard to put anything in that from that Bears game because I remember that Bears game, and that game was basically over as soon as it started. Mm. Yeah, because we were up early, weren't we? Yeah, the Dolphins, I, I believe, were up at one point, twenty-four to three in the first half. 
Where did you have the fake spike in that list, sorry? Number three. What's the greatest play against us? Wow. The greatest play against us? Oh, it has to be the Sea of Hands, and nothing else is closer. Do you think? Yes. The Sea of Hands, it's, first of all, it's historic because it stopped the Dolphins' dynasty. Uh, that offseason, uh, Paul Warfield, Larry Zonka left. I think, I believe, Jim Langer also left to that uh, WFL or whatever that league was called. Mm. And it ushered in a mini dynasty for the Raiders as the Raiders won. I believe they, they won the Super Bowl that year, and then they won it a couple of years after that. So, it, and it ushered in pretty much the Steeler dynasty of the 70s, and it ended the Dolphins. So, yeah, no, I know you have hands, and it's not really close. I don't think anything else is all that close. I'm going to throw one in there. That's all right. And it is. It's not a good one either. But it's the Monday Night Miracle. It's the Jumbo Elliott three-yard touchdown oh, catch from Vinny Testaverde. Absolutely. The Jumbo Elliott one. Yes, yes. I mean, that's, that's a to me. really, really good one. 30 points in the fourth quarter down. What were they? Down 30, 37-10 at one point, were they? <laughs> Something like that. It was insane. I mean, and imagine that. Yeah, what people forget is that the game was, well, you're watching this comeback and the game seems lost. And Jay Fiedler, uh, against all odds, the Dolphins are actually down at this point and it looks like the, the comeback is complete. And Jay Fiedler hits Leslie Shepard on like Leslie a Shepard, yeah. touchdown. It was a 46-yarder. Yeah, to tie it and send it into overtime. And then, of course, Jay Fiedler threw an interception in overtime and that yeah. ended everything. I mean, we had we had three touchdowns of over forty yards in that game. Forty-two yarder to Shepard, sixty-eight yard touchdown run from uh, what's his name, uh, Lamar Smith, and then a uh, the forty-two yarder to forty-six yarder to Shepard before Jumbo Elliott's touchdown. Yeah, crazy. I mean, what price would you put on a Miami miracle happening again? I would say four thousand to one. <laughs> what price would you put on? Uh, somebody handing the ball back to Kenyon Drake. At this point, like 250,000 to one. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second and we'll, we'll stay on the betting theme because as you, if you're a regular listener, you will know that one of our sponsors uh, are the great people at betdsi.com. Um, the NCAA and NFL seasons are coming to an end three weeks of the regular season to go in the NFL. Bowl season about to start in college football. Take your pigskin knowledge to the bank with betdsi.com and they'll help you get started by offering you double your money on your first deposit. So deposit now, start winning and get up to $2,500 for free. So double your money from the get-go. When it comes to football, they have every wager you could ever want or imagine. I wonder if they had a bet on whether or not Miami would score with seven seconds to go. I'm pretty sure they would have done. If it's happening in sports, they'll put a line on it. So yes, it, they would have put something on it. You can bet on the NFL, the NCAA, the NBA, the U, uh, UFC, the Premier League, eSports, baseball when it comes back, ice hockey, snow hockey, dog sledding. They'll do all of it. Join BetDSI today using promo code YARDS101. That's YARDS101 to get in the game and get paid. Don't stand on the sidelines. Enjoy the game that much more when you play at BetDSI.com. Now, I'm pretty sure they do like ice fishing or whatever I said, but you better just check with them just in case they don't. And if you are BetDSI listed, hello. Thank you for your support. And I'm sorry if I just got you into trouble with ice fishing or tobogganing or whatever it was I said. Anyway, Alf. The ball situation. Kenyon Drake scores a touchdown. 
understandably the greatest touchdown of his career. And this is the guy who scored a touchdown in a national championship game. He lobs the ball into the into the, the stands. Now, unfortunately, Kenyon being the nice guy he is, and, and God knows who wouldn't chuck the ball into the stands, quite frankly, um, after that play. That's what he does. Then he makes an appeal to say, if anyone's got the ball, I'd really like it back. It's a huge personal momentum for me. Uh, memento for me, um, you know, greatest moment of my career. I'd love to have that for the rest of my life so I could be able to look back when I'm older and say, that was the ball where I scored the record from. And God knows, I'm sure the, the NFL Hall of Fame would be interested in it as well, quite frankly. Anyway, there seems to be this really weird sort of online thing going on where people claim to have had the ball and then the Patriots fan had the ball and then somebody gave it to somebody else for $500. And now there's this kind of cadre of fucking weirdos claiming to charge £250,000 for it. Anyway, somebody put on Twitter earlier on, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to call out these fucking people because they're absolute morons. But So I've been having this kind of back and forth with people on social media the last couple of hours because somebody tweeted, um, you know, this is the current situation with, uh, with the ball in terms of where it's gone, what's going on, who's got it, how much they wanted to charge for it, and all that shit. So yeah, that's, I said, uh, that's uh, Matthew Canada, a guy that we know yeah, very well. Yeah. At, and you could find him at, at Canada NFL, C-A-N-N-A-T-A-N-F-L. And he has the whole saga in his Twitter. So Matthew, Matthew seems to know where the ball is or who's got it or whatever. Anyway, I'm just trying to find some of the messages that I've been sent from people. I mean, to be fair, 90% of people are fair-minded and say, you know what? I mean, because if it was me, quite frankly, I would give the ball back to Kenny Drake. I wouldn't want anything. If he gave me a load of free shit, then obviously I'd take it. Game-worn jersey, cleats, gloves, get my photo taken with him, tickets, whatever. That would be amazing. God knows, all those people in those stands, he did that for you, okay? For, them to, for, for people to say, oh, if I don't get any Escalade out of it, then I'm going to be really pissed off. What? What? I mean, seriously, what the fuck? I mean, this, somebody messaged me, and I, I'm now so old that I need glasses, so I don't have my glasses. Um, so where is it? I mean, talk amongst yourselves. So I said um, it was pathetic. And somebody put, no more pathetic than what the NFL charges to watch their product live or through NFL Sunday ticket. God forbid a fan treat the NFL the way the NFL treats them. I mean, what? I mean, that's not even relevant. But then somebody else says, he didn't steal the ball from Drake. He gave it away. And Steve Ross has deep enough pockets to work out a deal. It should be season tickets for life, use of a luxury box for one game this season, and a cash payout. No reason for the owner, Steve Ross, not to stay here. I mean, what the living fuck planet are oh, you living on? I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to call out this person's name, although I fucking well should, because I mean, these people are absolute morons. I mean, morons. Well, the, Somebody, that guy, the same guy, wrote back and he says, "Ask Simon on the pod." <laughs> so I guess he's our he's our co-host right now. He says. How is this different than the media, even sites like TMZ, paying for exclusives? Price I mean, varies depending on perceived value. This ball is the center of attention, so value is higher. It's, he's just I mean, capitalizing on the value of the ball. No, he's not. He's just being a cunt. <laughs> I mean, yes. there's no other word for it. I'm sorry. He's just been an absolute prick. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no relation to what TMZ, a, a, a journalistic site, whether it be TMZ or ABC or the BBC or the BBC World Service or NPR, it's got nothing to do with some moron fan trying to fleece 
an NFL player for a ball he chucked into the crowd after scoring probably the greatest touchdown of the last 10 years. I mean, it's fucking nonsense. Utter fucking garbage. It's embarrassing. We've got an embarrassing fan base as it is. And this clown is about as embarrassing as it gets. Well, it's very interesting what happened with this ball because it gets caught by a Patriot fan. And Matthew Kanata says that it's not clear who has the ball. And he's not sure it's a Dolphin fan that has the, the ball. But it gets caught by a Patriots fan from the Bahamas. Now, don't ask me how a Patriot fan came from the Bahamas. Sounds like a bandwagoning dipshit to me, if you ask me. <laughs> but he sells the ball on the spot for $500 to this nameless person. If you watch the video, the person that buys it for 500 bucks looks like he's wearing a Patriots jersey. So it could be a Patriot fan. Wait, so a Patriots fan is being a douchebag? Yes. I mean, who thought that would be possible? <laughs> yes. You know, and I love how in the C, because there's also a CBS story attached to, to this ball story, because these things tend to have legs, because this phenomenon started a while back when uh, guys in Major League Baseball were hitting important home runs and mm. fans were catching it in the stands and then holding the ball hostage for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I believe one guy actually paid half a million dollars for a Barry Bonds ball. Absolute moron. So this all started then, and now it's, it's, it's taken a life of its own. But on the CBS story, it's pretty interesting how this fan, let's put in quotation marks, the guy's asking, oh, I wanted 250000 but if you're not going to give me 250000 give me two Super Bowl tickets for next year's Super Bowl. Like, okay, so instead of 250000 now you want 10000 <laughs> It's basically what you're saying. Uh, I, mean, I think it's, it's absolutely it's garbage. I think it's absolutely disgusting. Now, had I caught the ball, okay, I would have told Kenyon Drake, first of all, I'm holding the ball for a week, okay? I'm going to make it the center of attention on the three yards per carry account. Then I will give it back to you, and I will take all those jerseys and all that stuff. But then you have to co-host one show on three yards per carry. You have to be the fourth guy. That's yeah. the only thing I would have asked for. And I'm pretty sure he, would, he probably would have said no. Then I would have asked him for 250000 I mean, in all seriousness, yeah, what would it – I mean – yeah, coming on the podcast would be great or, you know, doing an interview with him or some shit like that I could do for the magazine, great. But it's totally free. It's not costing anything. Getting one of those throwback jerseys, getting one throwback jersey, I mean, amazing. Frame that bad boy up. Cleats, amazing. Signed ball, amazing. I mean, you might even push the, do you know what? If you can get me sideline passes for one game next season, I, I mean, that would be incredible. But don't, you know, it's not the end of the world if you can't manage to do it or, you know, something like that. I mean, that would be pretty ninja. For most fans, that would be incredible. And having stood on NFL sidelines and college football sidelines, there are very few things in the world as cool as being on a professional football sideline. But also, there's nothing quite as – the game is totally different on field level as, than it is in the stands or on television. Um, so that experience would, have been, would be incredible for, for anybody charging any sort of money but 250 i mean adam beasley today that drake was really pissed off from the locker room today because of, of the way this is kind of going i mean th these fans have got no fucking clue they're no. morons they're morons you know what's something good that you could ask for you could ask him to to give you a, a regular nfl football that they could get from the locker room it costs them nothing and have Tannehill, stills parker mm. and kenya drake sign it and you know and personalize it for me say you know thank you for giving the ball back whatever write, write it on the ball and now you have a, a
pretty damn good memento to keep where you can say, look, I did catch the ball. I did have the ball, but I returned it. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, or, like, or you go down to the, you go down to the, to the doll. You said to King that I tell you what, it'd be great if it, when I give you the ball, I can have my photo taken with you, Ryan, Devonte, and Kenny. And there's an incredible mem- memento for life because there you are holding the ball and the four Larson. guys that did it. I would have Ted Larson also autograph the ball. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, you could ask, you could ask to shag Adam Gaze's wife and he'd probably set it up for you. <laughs> I've got, you know, who wants a new Escalade when you can go and hang out with the Dolphins players for a little while? Or, you know, at Coach Gaze, can I call one play? Let me call a play. Go on. And you can have the ball oh. back. Now we're, now we're really opening it up. All right, you want the ball back. I want to call the, all the plays in the first half of the Vikings game. <laughs> I mean, come on. Just ridiculous. It's I mean, if, you're li- if you do have that ball and you're listening to this podcast, you need to take a long fucking hard look at yourself because, I mean, I'm lost for words. Just, I mean, I don't know what's coming up next, my man, but just get <laughs> us there before I cry. What a world. <laughs> Well, we're moving on from this game, although it's going to be pretty hard because we're going to be seeing this highlight for the rest of our lives. But we play a game this week. And we, we play do. the 6-6 six and six and 1. Yeah, they tied a game. Minnesota Vikings. Now, before the season started, we were looking for the Dolphins. Where can they do something extraordinary? Where is there a game that you don't expect them to win that they can win? Obviously, one of them would have been New England in New England. I don't think this game against, you know, that we just beat them here in Miami counts because we always seem to beat them. And another game maybe would have been the Texans game on a Thursday night. Like, that would have been completely extraordinary had we won that one. In my opinion, number one would have been this Vikings game because before the season started, this Minnesota Vikings team, in my opinion, is probably the most talented team on paper coming into the season. They were a game away from the Super Bowl last year. They add a $30 million a year quarterback, you would think that that would be enough to push them over the top. But they're not good. They're not good, except that I think they're the best team we'll play all season on paper. I I know games aren't played on paper, but, you know, in terms of their lineup and, you know, whatever you think about Kirk Cousins, I'm not a fan of Kirk Cousins, never really have been, but, you know, Kirk Cousins is still Kirk Cousins. But you look at, you know, Darwin Cook, you look at uh, Latavius Murray, who uh, I've seen, a, you know, five or six Vikings games at least this season. Every time I see him, he's, uh, he's picking up yards. Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, uh, Treadwell is coming on. Aldrich Robinson, the kid that my friend Jeff Reinbold coached at SMU, has, has caught a number of long touchdowns for them. Pat Elfline is one of the best young centers in the NFL. Defensively, you know, they've got uh, Everson Griffin on one side, but Daniil Hunter is one of the best four or five pass rushing defensive ends in, in football. Linval Joseph is a terrific defensive tackle. At the second level, you've got Anthony Barr running around all over the place. Eric Kendricks is a really good middle linebacker. And then arguably the best safety in football in Harrison Smith. I think and he is fo- the best safety in football. Yeah. Uh, and Xavier Rhodes, uh, Xavier Rhodes, who's essentially, um, Xavier Rhodes, who's essentially having a bad season or a down season, certainly not a bad season because of injury, but who is still an elite cornerback in the NFL. You know, and they've got numbers on that back end. You know, Mac Alexander, 
Trey Waynes, both high draft picks, both have struggled. So Sendejo, Trey Waynes, uh, and Mac Alexander, I think, are the guys that you're going to want to get matchups on. You know, but Barr will drop into coverage. Kendricks is going to be everywhere making plays. It's going to be hard to run on. The thing, the thing I, you know, the thing for me is that, uh, you know, you look at that team and you think that's a team that should be, you know, twelve and four at the end of the season, not struggling at six and six. Absolutely. Um, you know, and they've fallen off a cliff the last few weeks. I mean, you look at some of the games they played early in the season. You look at the way that they dismantled Green Bay at home four or five weeks ago, and you're thinking, you know, this is one of the upper echelon teams in the NFL. But you know, they have struggled. They have struggled, and I, I, I mean, I always had this game pegged as a defeat for us. Mm. Um, and the disappointing thing about the Miami Miracle is that if we don't win in Minnesota, it makes everything that happened last week sort of irrelevant. I mean, it'll always be a great play. But unless we in, get a lot of help, unless we get a lot of help on Sunday. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can afford to, you know, I think you're asking teams like Indianapolis to, to lose essentially three times now. You'd ask, be asking Baltimore to essentially lose three times. And I don't think either of which are going to happen. Um, or once, or once and, and try to get into a three-way tie with everybody at nine and seven and you get in. But then we, but then we don't have the, you know, we, we certainly wouldn't, get, we, we wouldn't have the, the tiebreaker over Indianapolis. We, in terms of common uh, common results within the AFC, I think Baltimore are five and one. With they have a significantly better record on the next uh, whatever it is that you know that they take into account. I just I just think we'd struggle to. I mean, yeah, we, I, to, for, for me, I think we need to win out. Yeah, it has to, has a lot to do with that last game, uh, Indianapolis and, and Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, because uh, I saw all the all the the permutations of how you can get in at 10 and six, the dolphins get in. Okay. Because if they win out, they're 84% to get into the playoffs. And if you do, if you go on that ESPN uh, playoff thing, majiggy that you could get to play with, you know, and assign wins yeah. and losses, it's almost impossible to keep the dolphins out of the playoffs if they went out. But at nine and seven, you're talking about needing to have like three and four way ties where the Dolphins actually look better, and then it goes to, like, other tiebreakers like division record, which the Dolphins, mm. if they do go 9-7, and seven, would have a really damn good division record. They'll be 5-1 and one in the division. But I want to talk about one player in particular on that defense. Mm. And he was a guy that in our draft special, which a lot of people downloaded, a lot of people liked, I, I made a strong case for this guy, and he's played a lot for them. The only thing is I haven't seen him play that much, and that's Holton Hill. What have you seen from him, and is he as advertised? And was he actually worth the draft pick I wanted to invest in him? I think he ended up starting four games yes. um, and didn't let himself down so far this season. I, um, I saw him come into some action when, when Rhodes got hurt against Green Bay and came in um, and played okay, actually. And I think he struggled earlier on, uh, early on. Uh, just in terms of grasping the terminology and where he was supposed to be, but actually, I think um, I think he's played okay. I don't think he's been brilliant. I think he's been okay. Um, I think he. I'm just looking at some numbers here, actually, and I don't. I don't. And this is probably a discussion for another time. I'm not a huge advocate of pro football focus, but they list him as the 16th highest graded corner in coverage in the NFL currently uh, okay. at 78.8 with a minimum of 146 snaps. Um, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's been that good 
Um, but I certainly think he, you know, as an undrafted free agent, he, he, that's an absolute home run hit for, for a kid who had a lot of talent at Texas, but it was just a more on off the field. So, yeah, I thought it was, I thought, I thought it was really strange that he, he went undrafted. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, it was off field stuff, wasn't it really? That, that, yeah. that, that's what cost him. Um, yeah. But he's played pretty well in place of, in place of Mike Hughes, who went down, I think with the ACL earlier in the year. So um, he didn't, he didn't do too badly. I think he had a no, big, but, didn't he have a big PI call against the Seahawks the other night? Yes, he did. And uh, all I've seen from him is that he's not, he doesn't shy away from contact. I do know that. No, absolutely not. So he's a, he's a pretty physical player. Now, one thing that is interesting is that they haven't been able to get Dalvin Cook, you know, uncorked. Going. I would say. The offensive line, that offensive line is really, really bad. Yes. I mean, really bad. I mean, yeah. Elfline is a really good player, but the rest of them, are, are not good at all. I mean, I think um, I think their their numbers are especially against especially under pressure. I think I saw earlier on. I think Kirk Cousins was under pressure, has been under pressure for thirty five percent of his dropbacks this season, which I think is the third highest rate in the league. But their pressure rate on third down is is significantly the highest. I mean, he's under pressure something like sixty two percent on all third downs, um, and I think part I think run blocking they're not. They've really struggled. Elfline, like I said, is very good, but outside of him, I think Remmers has struggled. Riley Reef has struggled. You know, I think they're a bit of a liability, and I think that's where they can be got at. And I think, um, uh, I think where Latavius Murray wins is that he runs well between the A gap, whereas I think Dalvin likes to kick it outside, and that's obviously where they struggle a little bit in sort of sealing off the edge and being aggressive in the run game on the runs that Dalvin's very good at. I think when they bring Murray in as that change of pace, a guy who's a little bit more one-paced but can can run through arm tackles and can can really lift the knees and uh, and punish people. Uh, he does that a lot through the A-gap, either side of L-flight. Now, Kirk Cousins signs a big contract there and all the numbers are starting to come out on him. Mm. He's facing a seven and six Miami Dolphins team, which means that they have a winning record, and he happens to be four and twenty-four mm. in teams with a winning record, and he hasn't beaten one yet this year. He's zero five this year, yeah, exactly. I mean, his what record is astonishing. I mean, I've never been a big fan of Kirk Cousins. I've got to say, I, I don't think he's anything more than a mid-tier quarterback. I think Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. Um, and I think he lives a little bit, and this is unfair, I think he lives a little bit off that early form in Washington when RG3 was injured and he played very well and they drafted two quarterbacks that year and, uh, mm-hmm. and when he came on, he, play, he did play well and he picked up some of the slack and he's, he was fine in Washington. But there was a reason why the Redskins didn't pay, I hate calling them the Redskins, there was a reason why Washington didn't pay the money that he demanded and uh, and they they continued to pay him on a year-after-year contract because they I don't think they ever quite saw what. Well, it was clear they they never saw what they wanted. And those career stats that you mentioned, four and twenty-four against winning teams across his career, zero and five this year. I think even thirteen prime time games. His career road record is twelve twenty-three and two, and his career record on Monday Night Football. You got a stab at that, my man? No, I don't know. I know it's terrible though. Zero and seven on Monday Night Football. I mean, (laughs) and this is a guy they paid eighty-six million dollars guaranteed. To. That's yes. guaranteed money, um, you know. So uh, I am not a Kirk Cousins fan. What I am a fan of is that receiving combo of Adam Thielen and uh, and Stephon Diggs, who I think are two of the finest. I mean, I think uh, for me, I would take Antonio Brown and, uh, and Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, who I just think is a phenomenal receiver. Um, 
over those two, but it, it's pretty close. And Thielen certainly, he slowed down a little bit in the last three or four weeks, but he was certainly on a, you know, all pro tear earlier on in the season. And I, I suspect by season's end, you know, if you're looking for two all pro receivers, I, I suspect it will be, in fact, they're putting three in all in the all pro list this year. I suspect the three will be Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins and Adam Thielen because he has had a sensational season and is such a good player. He's, he's one of the most, I mean, Diggs is as well. D- what Diggs brings to the table is that he's one of the best, along with DeAndre Hopkins, he's one of the best high point catchers in the NFL. What Thielen does so well is that he's one of the three or four best route runners. I mean, you look at Thielen, you look at Hopkins, you look at Keenan Allen with the Chargers. Um, you know, they're, they're your sort of three or four best route runners in the NFL and he is, he is right up there. He's a terrific player. A really good player, but there's just something missing, and I wonder whether it's the, you know, because uh, we talked about it on the WhatsApp group earlier in the week, and then he got sacked. But the, the kind of the, the issues between Mike Zimmer and John DeFilippo, which were fairly well documented, you know, the two of them just weren't getting on, and Zimmer was sort of limiting the playbook and uh, wanting specific plays run, and DeFilippo, you know, wasn't really buying into Zimmer and what he was doing, and ultimately he got sacked, which was a shock because people were talking about him as a potential head coaching candidate. Uh, after the work that he did as the as the quarterback coach with the Eagles uh, last year on, on the way to the Super Bowl, but it will be interesting to see how they recover from that. And I was watching Adam Gaze's press conference today, and he was asked whether or not they did a deep dive into the guy who's taken over as the, the play caller, and he said, "You know what? We haven't because you can just get you know that's kind of analysis by paralysis in a way. You can get yeah. too hooked up on what the new guy's going to do, when actually the realization is the new guy's still going to be running what the old guy." Rat and essentially that you know they're not all, all of a sudden going to change the playbook just because you know Fred Bloggs is taking over as offensive coordinator and John DeFilippo is gone. So it's interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I got the impression that Xavier Howard wasn't going to play, uh, which will be a disappointment. But you know, especially with those receivers. But which Kirk Cousins turns up? Is it going to be you know Kirk Cousins who played Green Bay four weeks ago, or is it going to be on Sunday Night Football and and was dominant, or is it Kirk Cousins that? turned up against Seattle the other night and as long as it's not the Kirk Cousins that that shot it out with uh with the Rams earlier in the year because that Cousins was absolutely terrifying but I you know what I took the Xavier Howard news today to be actually kind of encouraging he ran for the first time and then he took Twitter and started posting highlight films of himself he did but then Gay said it wasn't it wasn't about the running he said that that was encouraging. He said it was more about the lateral ability, and he yeah. hasn't been able to show any lateral ability so far. Um, that would be the concern, obviously. It's prediction time. Let us have it, Simon. Uh, I think. I mean, it's a game Miami's got to have. I think it's going to be close as well. I think it will be close. I think. I think Minnesota twenty-seven, Miami twenty-four, but it could be the other way around. I don't know. There's just something about this team, and I'm looking for teams that get hot around this time of the year. And I'm not saying that we 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 are that, but a victory against New England, followed by a victory on the road against Minnesota, would do wonders. I think for the confidence of this team, and just the sort of the idea that maybe, just maybe, we can overcome all the odds and just do something spectacular. I've said it for a few weeks. I'm waiting for the Dolphins to do something extraordinary. Now, I do not think that beating the Patriots, I don't care how they beat them, is all that extraordinary. They beat them every year. They've beat them, beaten them five out of the last six times. The Bears game, all of us picked the, the Dolphins to win against the Bears, so I don't think that was extraordinary either. No, I think true. 
I think that this might be the spot where they do do something extraordinary and they come out with a win. And I think that they come out with a win because the Vikings have been susceptible to the deep ball. And it's mostly been due to, you know, Xavier Rhodes not being out there all the time and them taking a lot of injuries and Harrison Smith playing a lot inside of the box. But I think that they get enough offense and they keep them off balance with the run game. And they score enough. And we get one of those Kirk Cousins games where he implodes and makes a couple of miscues and a couple of turnovers. And the Dolphins pull this one out. And Ooh. I think Jason Sanders hits the game winner. And the Dolphins win 27-24. I think it'll be interesting to see where they play Harrison Smith and whether or not they try and shut down the run game by putting Harrison Smith in the box where he, he thrives or whether they keep him on the back end and therefore that opens up the run game but also opens up that sort of intermediate area. One other thing I just want to touch on as well and it'd be worth asking Chris before, before we get out of here is that the new guy at ESPN, Cameron Wolf, that's his name, um, he wrote a piece that we retweeted on the Three Yards Per Carry account, if you haven't seen it, which is a really interesting piece about the work that Alan Gaze has done. But it was a really interesting section in there, which was the way that Gaze is revered amongst his players, certainly his offensive players, but generally, the players generally, and you know that's reflected in the way that they're clearly playing for him. But it, I just thought it was very interesting that both Frank Gore and Albert Wilson, who was specifically quoting this piece, referred to Gaze as a genius. Yeah, we will get into that as soon as Chris Kaufman joins us after the break. But uh, another thing we will talk about, me and Chris, because Simon has to get out of here right now, is all the successful, I like to call it dumpster diving. But, you know, come on, you sign guys in the middle of the season and those guys become really good performers. Guys like Bryce, Bryce Butler and Travis Swanson. How good is he been, by the way? Ziggy Hood and, and, and O'Leary. Like, come on. You know, they, they've done a pretty good job finding other people's trash and turning it into our treasure this year. Bryce Butler almost certainly will be here next season at the expense of Devontae Parker. The, the touchdown that he caught against the Patriots was exactly the same play that Parker had run the week before for the touchdown. Yes. Um, but it was uh, farther out. It was actually farther yeah. <laughs> But Butler, you will get next year for a tenth of the price that you would be paying Devontae Parker. I, I will be amazed if Parker is here and Butler isn't. I think they're essentially the same player, just Butler comes at a lot cheaper. Yeah. Well, on the other side, we will have Chris Kaufman. But first, these words. On the Five Reasons Podcast, we've got you covered on everything Miami sports. We've got a podcast out every Monday on the Dolphins and the football weekend. We've got original reporting on the big sports stories you care about, like trade talks involving Jimmy Butler and JT Real Muto, and great guests on both current events and a little Miami sports nostalgia. On a recent episode, we were joined by former Heat guard Tim Hardaway. Pat Rowley didn't want me to talk trash. We had to sit down and say, you know, he said, you know, I don't want you to be out there talking I want you to be, you know, concentrate on what we need to do and helping us win. So I was like, all right, fine. I, I won't talk because, you know, I like I like to talk. So I said, well, let me do it in practice. He said, okay, you can do it in practice, but not in game. I said, all right, fine. We've got you covered on the Five Reasons Sports Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is O.J. McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. O.J., tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. And we're back, and welcome back to Three Yards for Carry. I have Chris Kaufman here with me. And before we get into Adam Gase and the, the successful dumpster diving the Dolphins have done or the front office has done this year, I guess I could break a little news on the podcast. I have a source that tells me that somebody in the group that has the King and Drake Bowl has a connection to Ken O'Keefe, former wide receivers coach under Joe Philbin, which is all kinds of interesting. <laughs> what do you make of this whole King and Drake ball saga, Chris? I Honestly, I mean, if I'm the Dolphins, like, I don't know, does it really matter that much? But um, I, I guess it does to them. Uh, you know, we're all going to have that memory. And I don't know. I, I guess I'm indifferent because I, I try to think if, if I had been in the stands of, you know, a Dolphins-Patriots game when Tom Brady threw the, you know, touchdown that broke Dan Marino's record of um, the 420 touchdown career touchdown passes and whatever idiot receiver it is that caught the touchdown pass like just threw it into the stands and I had it and so I've got Tom Brady's you know Dan Marino breaking record ball and I'm trying to think well you know would I just be a good sport and give it back or would I ask $250,000 for it I'm taking a quarter mil <laughs> fuck that I don't know these assholes anything uh you know so anyway uh, that that kind of my take on it and and so if they are like patriots fans you know it sucks that we threw the ball in the stands and in our you know in the moment of of glee and uh and a patriots fan and i you know if if you're a dolphins fan you got to wrestle that away from but uh you know it just sucks hey you you don't need the ball you've got the memory you've got the uh the video you've got the pictures you've got everything about the play maybe you don't have the ball i don't know but I, i wouldn't you know it's sort of like we don't give in to terrorists so um so i wouldn't i wouldn't give them a dime for that that fucking football but um you know that's i don't know that it's complicated yeah (laughs) well what's not complicated is the work that the front office has done this year first of all they've had stigmata happen to the roster okay because they have like the entire team on ir and they're missing like four hundred and fifty thousand starters but they've gone out there and picked up everybody else's trash and it's turned into our treasure. You got Bryce Butler, Travis Swanson, Ziggy Hood, Sylvester Williams, and of course, Nick O'Leary, who's actually been extended. What is your opinion on these guys? And do you think that they're roster players next year or at the very least camping bikes? In in one case, we already know that he's a roster player. Nick O'Leary, based on the extension he got, is going to be on the roster next year, maybe for several years, and uh, and they've already just made that decision. He's he's here. We speculate Travis Swanson will be 
here next year, I think, based on the health of Jake Brendel, who can't stay healthy, wasn't all that good anyway. Yeah, Travis Swanson is going to be here next year, uh, probably. Uh, whether, you know, he's at least going to be the number two center. Uh, we've, we've sort of gone back and forth last week, whether he's going to be the number one. I really personally don't think so, but, um, but you know, we'll see. Um, Ziggy Hood, he's played a little bit. I mean, he's definitely got a chip on his shoulder this year when he, when he came in and, and just none of us expected it. None of us really expected this, uh, anything out of him whatsoever. And, and, and you were, you know, saying that Sylvester Williams was going to do well and he's done pretty well, but it's, it's really been Ziggy hood. That's been, that's probably been much more impactful. What does this say about the guys that you already had, you know, that, that some of these guys have come in and made bigger impacts just coming off the street and without any of your coaching, I mean, or anything, I mean, yeah, you're coaching them up a little bit, but they, they just got here, so they're basically being having game plans shoved down their throat and saying, you know, here, take this, do this. You know, what does that say about about your your coaching, your teaching, your and your roster that these guys that these guys um, come in and, and play pretty well right away? And I think it does says good things about your your basically your pro personnel staff who are evaluating these guys and keeping a running you know list of of guys that they should be interested in if they ever need to speed dial some help uh it says good things about them uh, you know it says good things about your ability to to game plan and to you know i guess improvise and and do all the things like you know kind of cobble things together with imperfect pieces guys that aren't going to necessarily know the nuances of of what you're trying to do or have the best chemistry with everybody and yet you can make it work it says really great things about that i don't know if it says great things about your teaching or even the quality of the talent that you have on the roster that that a guy can come off the street and just make an immediate impact and even look better than some of the guys that you had already um i don't know i, I don't know if you have the same take on it or not but that, that's kind of what comes to mind i have a slightly different take sylvester williams was a starter before the season started and then they changed the system and he obviously didn't get along with with matt patricia and matt patricia immediately demoted him and he found himself on the waiver wire. So I think Sylvester Williams is an NFL player that we just got lucky enough to get. Now, Bryce Butler, I've seen a lot of because I watch a lot of Cowboy games. He always struck me as a really good NFL wide receiver. I don't know why he was out there as well. Maybe he's a problem child and we don't know about it. Now, Ziggy Hood should have been damn near done, but he's actually playing well. And Travis Swanson has probably played the best two games at center for anybody at least this year, and maybe even last year with Mike Pouncey. So I think some of these guys are just guys that went under the radar, and we were lucky enough to just pick them up. But in Bryce Butler and Sylvester Williams, those two guys are NFL players. They just are. And they've been NFL players. They've, they've played big roles before on other teams. So I think we're, we got lucky on those two. I think Nick O'Leary just fell out of the sky. And Travis Swanson, I guess we got lucky on him. And Ziggy Hood is probably the only one that's – not for long because he's, you know, he's a little long on the tooth, but he's actually made a really big impact. Yeah, but all of these guys, I mean, you're talking about guys that were already there. It's not like they were – it's not like we we beat people on the waivers, you know, to get these guys. Yeah. Sylvester Williams was available. Anybody could have gotten, called him up and gotten him. 
uh, Ziggy Hood was available. Anybody could have called him up and got him. And Nick O'Leary was available, and anybody could have called. People ask me, you know, why was Nick O'Leary available? Why was? Uh, oh my God, you know, how did how did we manage it? Well, it's it's pretty easy because he's like, what is he like, six foot three and two hundred and fifty pounds? It's not it's not like you know, stunning a stunning look for a tight end, and he runs like a five zero. Yeah. And, um, and you know, he's, he's kind of a, he's kind of a small things guy. He, he blocks pretty well, but he's not the kind of guy that you think is going to handle a, a big 265 pound defensive end by himself necessarily either. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a little things guy. And what we needed at this time was a little things guy. And especially the way we use Nick O'Leary, uh, because, you know the defense tends to fall asleep on him and he'll execute he'll execute a block and then you know come out on a delayed route and then you know pay dirt and that and that's that's how he gets open um he's not necessarily getting you know big uh big separation against guys in man coverage that that are looking out for him or something like that you know you, you ought to be lulled to sleep a little bit with him but he can execute and that's what that's what we needed we needed guys that can come in and execute and we weren't getting that already i see what you're saying about sylvester williams but the fact of the matter is it's, it's actually it's ziggy hood that's coming in and making the big impact to me yeah. and and he's the one we didn't expect that you know we were like this guy you know i don't know what what they're thinking here you know and he comes in and he's like playing like a madman out there uh he's played like 100 and, you know maybe 112 snaps or something like that and he's just you know, playing playing dynamite football thing that was lost in that game that we didn't even talk about ziggy hood deflects a pass up in the air that Charles Harris should have. Oh, yeah. And Tom Brady knocks out of his hands, of course. Yeah, and we <laughs> that's get that right. Interception, we get that interception. We're in their territory, up mm-hmm. one, late in the game, and that could have been another another opportunity to get a kill shot in that game. Yeah, I mean, it's they, they've really come, they've really come on, and and kudos to them for for them for making these moves and deciding. I remember this this happened. Didn't this happen right around the Jets game? um or when yes. when did they when did they get these these guys it was it was sometime it was after it was after, after the detroit just, game yeah after the detroit game after they had allowed you know an enormous numbers of, of yards on the ground and uh the jets game was the game i remember we won it it was like 13-6 or something like that yes and um and this was the game that we headed into. That was the game that Rashad Jones kind of whatever had that miscommunication, took himself out, did whatever. Um, but it was also the game where sort of uh, Adam Gase beforehand was like, you know, I need to – basically he's going to peek into the defensive room and help with the defensive game planning and, um, and you know, kind of decide alongside Matt Burke what, what's wrong and what needs to change and stuff like that. Kudos to them for deciding that some things needed to change, not just schematically but personnel-wise, getting two big boys like Sylvester Williams and Ziggy Hood and adding them to the rotation and stopping, you know, stopping the run for the most part. Around the same time that they grabbed these bigger guys, Sylvester Williams and Ziggy Hood, they also started using more five-man fronts. And that's been um, a pretty big, pretty big impact, or it's had a pretty big impact against the run in particular. Uh, I have that they've run the ball or that they've uh, faced run plays 16 times against the five-man front and only allowed 21 rushing yards. And um, they do that. These five-man fronts involve a lot of Sylvester Williams and Ziggy Hood. 
uh, if you look at the um, the breakdowns, and they've done a they've done a really good job sprinkling that in there in situations. I think overall, since that Jets game, there were a few kind of subtle changes that were made. Among them, on the personnel side, uh, like we talk about getting getting those guys, but also the five man fronts, and, and I think just a little bit more variability in their approach uh, personnel wise. Um, you know, based on the situation. So they're starting to predict the situations a little more, um, a little more accurately and get some different looks in there, uh, you know, that are geared toward that situation, what they think is going to happen in that situation. And it's working. And, um, and, you know, I was, I was looking at a tweet that Brian Baldinger uh, put out earlier talking about how physical Miami is up front and their defensive line. And, and it's showing them uh, on a play, shutting down a Patriots run and it's like well you know we're going to ignore the elephant in the room there that Miami was in a five defensive lineman front with you know basically like a a bear a bear setup with both yeah. guards and the center the center covered up you're not going to run on that uh, that's and that's and Miami knows that and uh and sometimes offenses do it anyway and when they do it it's a wasted down generally and um, and that's been that's been pretty key, you know. So for for Miami stopping the run and and getting things going on defense when they need it. Simon talked about a lot of things, especially concerning Adam Gase, and he mentioned this article that Cameron Wolf wrote on ESPN.com, uh, arguing that Adam Gase should remain next year no matter how the season ends. What have you seen as far as differences in the way Adam Gase has approached this team that? should make them be a lock for 2019. Well, I think um, whenever I get asked about this, and, and we actually had a patron shot before where I was, you know, I, I was taking sort of the opposite side here um, temporarily and saying, well, what is a thing that I could actually criticize about Adam Gase? And, um, and this, that actually goes back to almost from the moment he was hired. Um, but I get asked this a lot on Twitter and elsewhere, you know, why, why do I think Adam Gase either deserves another chance or something? Well, it's not really about deserves. It's about, you know, it's about looking at making the changes that need to be made in order to make the team the best that they can be. And, you know, for that, you have to look at your assets and you have to look at what everybody brings to the table. And then you have to look at what needs to change in order to get better. And if the head coach isn't bringing anything to the table or uh, or he is an impediment to making the changes that need to be made on the team, then then that's when you look at that's when you look at replacing the guy. I, I don't really believe in this whole, you know, oh, you got to give a guy three years or you got to give a guy this. I don't think there's any minimums or maximums there. I think the, the evaluation is ongoing and you're always looking at uh, solutions and everything is solutions-based. In this case with Adam Gase, what does he bring to the table? Well, first off, he was hired to do a job. He was hired to win with Ryan Tannehill. He's won with Ryan Tannehill. I don't, whether you like it or not, I don't give a shit. He's won with Ryan Tannehill. You know, that's, that was his job number one. It was in the job description. If he didn't say he liked Tannehill, he wouldn't have been fired or hired here. He found that out the hard way in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, when he was honest, a little too honest about Colin Kaepernick at quarterback and what he thought there, um, you know, he didn't get hired there. And I know there were some other reasons, but that was among the reasons. So, 
he was hired to Miami to win with Ryan Tannehill, and he's done that. And um, he hasn't won without Ryan Tannehill. But guess what? You know, when when you're missing 10% of your salary cap because you thought you had a franchise starter, and then he's missing half of the games, nobody wins. Nobody wins. It's not like it's not like Jacksonville last year when when you and I talk about how they bought a defense, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have those resources because it's all tied up in the franchise quarterback who's sitting on the bench because, or sitting in street clothes because he's not actually playing, you know? So I don't care if people think that you can win like that anyway, it's not really true. Uh, Nobody wins like that. So he's won some games. I think it was something like 10 and 16 without Tannehill. I forget, you know, he has won some, some games, but he has won with Tannehill. That was job number one. What does he bring to the table? I like the fact that they have sort of like um, an ascending probability of scoring as they go through the game, you know, go from drive number one to two, three, four, five, six, all the way through, through the end of the game. They have increasing probability of scoring all the way through until, you know, and, and you can flip that around and say, why can't you score at the beginning of games? And we do that often, but it doesn't matter because to me, when you are getting better and better as the game wears on, you're, you're going to win more games than people think you should. You know, that's, that's the, that's the way it is. Um, and I think that it points to in-game adjustments. It points to uh, to his ability to to see what the defense is doing and to you know to adjust as the game wears on. And when you have that ability, that's an asset. We talk about assets. That's a big asset. That's a championship caliber asset. If you can get other things you know surrounding you. Um, and then the other thing is there's sort of an uncanniness here about just look at this miracle win against New England and the the fact that they're always, you know, have the perception of overachieving. They overachieved in 2016. They're clearly, people are saying, you know, they're overachieving this year um, based on what are they, people expecting them to win like three, four, five, six games, something like that. And they've already well, they won went, seven. They just went over because the, yeah, the over they just went over. <laughs> it was six and a half. And yeah. to be fair, they were favored to go over six and a half. Like, yeah. you know, that was the favorite side, but it still, it was still was six and a half. It wasn't, seven but they went over and they have three games left. They yeah. have three games left and, and two of them are against the bills and the Jags. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying for sure they're going to win both of those games or anything like that. We never know, but, but yeah, I mean, there's an overachievingness about this team and it's, and there's also the, we talk about like how, how can they be, you know, 29th again, or 29th on defense and 29th on offense and still be six and six. This doesn't add up. Uh, the point differentials never add up. The, um, you know, all, all these analytical th- things that you look at, they don't add up because they win, they overperform. <laughs> and don't you want a team that's overperforming? Because if you have, if you have a bunch of talent and then you overperform that, you win Super Bowls. <laughs> that's, so, so if you ask me what is, what does a gase led team bring to the table? Those, those are two things that come off right away. Like, yeah, they get better as the game wears on because he's really good at adjusting in game. And, and, you know, the second thing is they keep overachieving and that's exactly what you want. And, uh, and we don't need to be talking about him as much. And, and maybe, maybe now, maybe sometimes it takes this sort of iconic win to, to shut people up. Um, I don't think people will be shut up about it. I think they'll just start chirping the next time they do lose. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's what I think. I was saying, I was joking the other day that when, when does the, the sample size get big enough 
The sample size is now at 26, and the Dolphins are 20 and 6 in one-score games. Now, (laughs) uh, at at some point, it ceases to become random. First of all, I will say uh, to those of you on Twitter that love to keep pushing that, oh, close games are random. No, they're not. Okay? Mm -hmm. They're just not. Okay, I've been watching football my entire life, and the teams that win close games and the teams that lose close games, there are usually pretty big reasons why those things happen. Because you are, of course, if you have a close game, it means that the game got to the fourth quarter, right? So -hmm. if the game got to the fourth quarter, you're talking about three possessions either way. So you're talking about two teams playing for 15 minutes in a condensed game, which means that each call gains in importance and each play gains in importance. So you blow a call like Adam Gase did. uh, Well, the way some people say that he did Mm -hmm. on goal line against the Indianapolis Colts, you blow a 10 point lead. There should be heads to roll, you know, heads to roll on something like that because you're not supposed to blow those leads. But I don't think that it's just dumb luck that they keep winning these one score games. No, I, I, what have you seen as far as how they're doing that? Well, first off my own research on this is you tend to win. So if you're a team that tends to win about 70% of your games, like the New England Patriots or something like that, yeah. then you're a team that also tends to win 70% of your close games. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the research that I, the, that I have, that I've done. I'm not going to focus on, on like, you know, oh, what luck allows them to win the close one-score games. I mean, it's not luck when you see them, when you, see them uh, you know, constantly get better at scoring as the game wears on which is it's like this perfect ascending graph if you were to look at it going all the way back to when Adam Gase was a uh, offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears with Jay Cutler as well you know as you go on from drive to drive in the game you know drive number 1 to number 2 to number 3 number 4 number 5 all the way through number 12 or you know and number 13 and and then some you know their probability of scoring just keeps rising 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 all the way through the game and when you have that then, um, then yeah, in close games, anybody that has that sort of ascending quality in close games is going to tend to come out ahead because they're more dangerous at the end of the game. And in those one-score games, the end of the game is what matters. Now, has there been anything different since Ryan Tannehill came back? Yeah, I think that if you look at it, and if, it'd be ironic if, if this happened this way, but I think it has. They've Sort of, you know, and we, we know that Ryan Tannehill was facing a fr- pretty serious shoulder uh, problem. We reported on it endlessly. So we, we've been saying to ourselves, I mean, he's not going to throw the ball 45 times in a game, or he, his arm's probably going to get pretty tired if he does that, and, you know, he'll have nothing left. Well, it'd be ironic if the injury has forced them to finally do what we've been saying that they should do all along, and what uh, – not just us. I mean, we're not, we don't own anything here, uh, which is concentrate on the run and stay double committed to the run and, um, and, and then compliment and then have Ryan Tannehill come in like more as a facilitator and as an opportunity, you know, grabber to compliment the run. And that's what the, has happened over the last three weeks. Now it didn't work so well against Buffalo. They had a lot of drives that ended in punts because they were stopping the run, but they yeah. stayed committed to it too. Uh, and and staying committed to it allowed them to be opportunistic when they did get a short field. Uh, and I think that staying committed to the run has always been, from the Texas A&M days on, the best way to utilize Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback. Now, 
They play a game this week. Mm-hmm. Me and Simon already made our prediction. Simon says oh, – that's not a pun. Simon says that <laughs> that he thinks the Vikings win 27-24, but he wouldn't be the least bit surprised if the score was reversed and the Dolphins won. Mm-hmm. I'm picking the Dolphins to win 27-24 because I think they have to do something extraordinary. They haven't done it all year. And, yes, that winning that Patriots game, that wasn't extraordinary. I said it before in the first half of the show. They always beat the Patriots. Five out of mm-hmm. the last six. So that's not extraordinary. We all picked against the Bears and the Dolphins to win that game. So that's not extraordinary. So when are they going to really, really surprise us? I think this is the spot. And Kirk Cousins is just the quarterback to do it. How do you see the game? Give me your prediction. I think it's astonishing, and you probably already touched on the point. It's astonishing that Kirk Cousins is only 4-24 and 24 against winning teams in his career. Yes. Um, and that's – I mean, that – there's something there because he that was that was a, a criticism of his coming out of Washington and going over to Minnesota was that he was four and nineteen against winning teams. And you know, so he's faced five more winning teams this year and he's lost every single one of those games. So, you know, I that and Ryan Tannehill, for the record, I, I believe is sixteen and twenty-three against winning teams, which is about median because actually there's only a handful of quarterbacks out there who have winning records against winning teams. It's just not a thing that uh, typically happens to quarterbacks. I mean, and they are who you think they are, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, uh, those kind of, kinds of guys, Alex Smith, believe it or not, uh, you know, unfortunate what's happened to him and his leg. So yeah, anyway, uh, I think it's astonishing. I think that plays into this. Uh, and I think that, you know, turmoil is turmoil. They, they just fired their offensive coordinator on the one hand, you're like, yeah, maybe they'll get a pop out of their offense because of that. Well, on the other hand, it just means that there's a lot of turmoil and, and problems there. So, you know, I think, I think those, kind of, those things end up, end up kind of controlling the day, uh, honestly. There's that comfort level between Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill. And if they really have discovered their commitment, true commitment to the run to kind of try and protect Tannehill and his shoulder – uh, whatever the reason, then then I think they're going to do more winning. There's more winning for them out there. And I think it starts this week against a team that's going through turmoil that doesn't beat winning teams. We are a winning team. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick Miami in this one. And what are we, like one and five on the road? That's not going to be one and seven. That's not – this is not the 2017 Dolphins. So, yeah, I do, I do think that they're going to win this one. And, you know, let's – just for good measure because it's a road – game let's go 24-20 on this all right so that's two to one and simon was itching to pick the the dolphins to win yeah i probably could have convinced him (laughs) (laughs) yeah but too bad you weren't on in the first (laughs) all right that's it there is no more hopefully the next time we talk to you we'll be talking about playoffs and trying to win out and get the 10 and 6 but till then Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.